0: Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands, to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself, himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Maria. All right, we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. Uh, I'm going to address two words in that text first for about 10 minutes, and then we're going to pause and we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing a song, and then we're going to jump back into the text, and I'll go through the rest of the passage. So as we come to the text... In verse 22, we read, wives, submit to your own husbands. Now, there's two words I want to address, wives and husbands, because in our cultural context, uh, those two words aren't as clear, maybe, as they once were in our culture. Now, I want, to, I want you to turn, leave your fingers there, turn in your Bibles, To Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, verses four to six say this this is Jesus speaking. Jesus answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So as we come to the passages in Ephesians and we talk about marriage uh, today and next Sunday, and we're going to gather in the evening next Sunday to have a night of marriage, to talk about marriage, to strengthen marriages in our churches, we need to clearly understand from Scripture that God is the creator of the universe and he created this world to to exist, to operate in a certain way because our God is good and loving and and we want to respond to his created order. So I just want to clearly state that as we're talking about marriage over the next few weeks, that marriage is between one man and one woman. And we do not get to choose if we are a man or if we are a A woman. I understand that statement is very controversial in our day, but it's clearly seen in the beginning of Genesis and clearly seen from Jesus' own words that God created us male or female, and our God is good. We didn't get to choose our skin color. We didn't get to choose how tall we became, though some of us wish we could have. We didn't get to choose who our biological parents were. We, we don't get to choose, but, but our God has created this universe with order and intentionality in love. So we must remember that, but yet we are called to engage with our culture. And the greatest problem of our day, kind of the spirit of the age, is that your identity is determined by feelings. That's what we're told. What, what we feel internally, the subjective feelings. We're encouraged to base our entire reality on what we feel, not what is truly, not what is true, or what is revealed in God's word, because this is our source of truth. And so. We cannot accept that gender is fluid because Jesus said God made them male and female, one or the other. Now, that said, the greatest need that must be addressed in our society is not gender. It is the fact that we are separated from God apart from Christ. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in Romans 3:23. In Romans 6:23 it says for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. So the greatest hope we have is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the, the gift of the gospel, the free gift for all of us who are separated from God is that we can surrender our lives to Jesus and have relationship with God. That's the greatest need for us is, and the greatest need for all of us to consider that we must surrender our lives to Jesus. And if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I'd encourage you to consider the call of Christ. Okay, we've understood that God created and so, so what do we do to interact with our culture? Now, I can't address every question you have. Uh, it would be unwise for me to do that in the next few moments. But I want to give you a few handles as, as you engage with the culture. How do we respond? Well, number one, we should pray. We should always pray. We should pray and ask for wisdom because wisdom comes from above. We should ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit as we talked about last week. We want to be a people that are filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Matthew 10, he said, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. God, help us to do that. So we want to pray, number one. Two, I want to encourage us to study relentlessly. And what I mean by that is not so much study everything that the age has to stay, study your word. You know that when uh, in the bank, a, a bank teller can tell a counterfeit dollar bill, not because they've studied all of the counterfeits that are out there, but they've studied the genuine article. And if you want to study what is true, give yourself to the study of God's word. This is the source of truth. This will give you discernment. This is oftentimes not the thing as someone prayed this morning in the prayer meeting not the thing that is trending but it's eternal it's the word of god that lasts forever so let's give ourselves to the study and study systematic theology maybe study uh, catechism the new city catechism the westminster catechism there's there's others that we can focus on god's word and understand because paul said i want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil So we wanna pray, we wanna study God's word. Thirdly, I wanna encourage us to listen. To listen with discernment, but to listen. Yes, we're gonna listen to the Holy Spirit, but I wanna encourage you, as you engage with those who don't know Christ, that clearly have a perspective on some of these things, listen to their story, understand their pain, Understand their struggle. Get to know them. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. And they're not going to know that you care if you don't spend time with them, if you don't listen to their story. And just try to understand where they're at. Don't go in with, I'm going to fix you with horizontal help, because I don't know about you, but I need help. I need God's help to change and to grow. I needed God's Holy Spirit to convict me of sin to change. So let's let's love, let's listen with discernment. But let's listen, let's love without compromise. We can hold to this biblical position, but, but not start every conversation, you know, like angry. We should start with love. If there's anything that, that the world should get as they interact with us is the aroma of Christ. Jesus was around people who were blatant pagans and sinners, but they were drawn to him because he loved them. So let's love others Because there's a reality in our age. The lies that are being perpetuated and shared are going to and have already wrecked lives. And it's not just an opinion that I have. Statistically, that's happening. There are people who are going to Engage in activities or surgeries in which they will not be able to change in the future and they will have to deal with the emotional pain and being an outcast as they try to to, to, to wrestle through all those things. We will have the privilege to love them. We have the privilege now to love them. Because what they're defined by isn't the choices that they make. They were created in God's image, as you and I are, and they need to know that. They need to know that their significance is rooted in the fact that there's a God in the universe that made them, and they're significant. And he sent a Savior for them. They need to know that. So, fifthly, we need to focus our conversations around Jesus. God, would you open doors for us to share about Christ just pray for open doors now take a deep breath in out I just covered a lot in a short period of time but I realized there was no way that we could open this passage that you weren't thinking about those things because they're coming at us all the time And we could spend lots of time studying. I've recently listened to a book called Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age by an author by the name of Rosaria Butterfield. Rosaria Butterfield used to be a secular uh, professor at Syracuse University. She lived the lesbian lifestyle. And some 20, 30, 40 years ago, a godly old couple, a pastor and his wife just loved her, shared Christ with her, but loved her without compromise, and she came to know Jesus over a period of years of time. And she does a great job addressing some things, and there's other resources. And as you have questions, I want you to ask them, and we can, we can learn together. But before we move on, because we have, we have all the things that you would normally think, oh, man, we got some things to talk about in this passage. Let's just spend a few moments praying. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, I ask that you would settle our hearts right now. We have much to review. We have much to study in your word uh, this morning, but these things are just right in front of us, and I ask God that you would give us hearts to love, to love unconditionally, to love without compromise. We ask God that you would give us wisdom because we need it. Lord, each of us have different circumstances and situations that we're in. We can't speak to everything and answer everything, but your Holy Spirit can. So we ask for wisdom. And we ask, God, that you would open doors, open doors and give us boldness to share Christ. We ask, Father, that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you are like, he's going to preach again. Don't worry. There's no extra charge for two messages in a Sunday. Okay. So you don't have to pay extra for this one. So as we come to the text this morning, I also know that this text is hard for many. I know that there are many here who are young people who are like, why would anyone want to get married? That sounds gross you know and then there are the others who are here that you've maybe want to get married and you're not maybe you've walked through the pain of divorce maybe you're not happy in your marriage right now and certain things that are in this passage that i say you know, might just cause the the hairs on the back of your neck to raise or maybe you you get tense and i want to be sensitive to that reality because there is a reality We have an enemy and his name is Satan and he has perpetuated sin and he's perpetuated sin in our society and every society since the fall. He's perverted and distorted the roles that God, that God initiated that were good And, and so he's, he's perverted th- those roles and his goal is to either make us believe that God doesn't exist or to believe that God isn't good. He wants us to believe we are the master of our fate and the captain of our souls. But he's a liar. Another reason why this text can often uh, maybe provoke a little anxiety is the sad reality that you may have experienced either your own husband, wives, or, or you've seen others, or you've seen a dad that was sinful. Men who failed to display Christ, who didn't love their wives, men who were marked by dominance and control or passivity and uninvolvement. I I understand that's happened. I want you to know clearly this passage does not condone or encourage abuse of women in any way. Absolutely not. It does not advocate that wives stay in dangerous situations. As I've said before, there, there are times when the police need to be called in dangerous situations and I can't address every situation But, you know, I want those in this room, maybe those listening online who have an ungodly husband to know that, that the leadership of this church in no way celebrates ungodliness. Our desire is to point people to Christ, to repent of sin to help men and women grow in holiness as we stand before a holy God and we're made righteous only because of what Jesus has done. Sometimes we come to this passage and we're struggling. You know, sometimes wives struggle because of their own sinful heart and propensity to not wanna follow God's good plan in their life. But understand this, whether you're husband or wife, Do not go looking to your spouse for something that only Christ can give you. Only Christ is a source of joy. I know there's been bad teaching in the church. There have been pastors and elders who've been bad example of some of these things. And I'm not gonna call any particular individual out. I'm just humble before God. God, help me to be an example. Because... As Jesus has come onto the scene, being a new creation in Christ actually frees us from the animosity that exists between husbands and wives that was caused by the fall. So we're going to look at our Bibles as as. As was read at the beginning, verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We want to have Christ in view, but why don't we pause again just to pray. Father, we need you right now. God, I pray for those who are here that are already struggling with this passage, whether whatever their situation, Lord, if there's one thing we're left with when we leave here this morning, would we be aware of Christ and what Jesus has done? Would we be aware of how he came so that one day we could be with him? He came to die for us so that one day we could be with him and he could make everything right the way that God intended it to be in its beauty and wonder. So Lord, open our eyes to the truth of your word. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll look back. Again, so at the passage says, we, uh, coming from last week, we want to be filled with the spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So even as this verse 21 comes before everything that comes after, I just want to say one other thing. Like uh, why am I addressing the ladies first and not the guys first? Because Paul says more to the guys than the, than the ladies. Well, that, this is just the order that it comes in our Bible. That's all I'm doing. Like, it came, if, if Paul thought I needed to come next, we're coming next. It, it sometimes feels like Paul's got a bunch to say. You know, there's eight and a half verses to say to the guys, three and a half to the ladies. It's almost like he's getting ready to say stuff to the guys. He's just like, just hold on one second. I just got a couple of things I need to say to the ladies because I got some things to say to the men. I don't know if that's what he was thinking, but sometimes it feels that way, but that's why we're here today and we're going to be in the other passage, but I'll have some things to say for everyone today, but Christ is the most important word in this passage. As we go verse 22 to 33, the application of these verses flows out of a love for, a healthy fear of an adoration for Jesus. This passage goes awry when Jesus isn't at the forefront. It does. Because remember the backdrop of all of this is back at the beginning of chapter five, which says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So Jesus was the ultimate imitator of God. We actually, when we look at Jesus' life, we can know what God is like because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So pursuing holiness, displaying humility, being filled with the spirit, just constantly in prayer because he was submitted to his father. So if Jesus is the most important word that comes out and and flavors everything here, we just have to remember, Jesus is loving. He's holy, he's humble. That's Christ. He has absolute authority, right? We've learned from John, like he was at the beginning, all creation was made through him. He has authority. But he exercised that authority by healing, by feeding by caring for people and he humbled himself as a servant. That's what's in front of us. Also, Jesus, we have to remember, Jesus honored women. He lived in a culture in which women were not just marginalized, they were kind of seen as less than citizens. They couldn't speak in court. And Jesus treated women with courtesy, dignity, and honor. That's what Jesus did. Jesus is actually the one that that liberated women because he cared for them he encouraged them so much so that they followed him you see pictures of that when you read in the new testament like there's this kind of oh and then there were there were women who follow along there were women present at the crucifixion that's not like the family gathering hey there's a crucifixion let's get the family and let's go But the ladies went to that place where where there were those that spit on Christ, that were cursing him, that anyone who was associated with him would have put themselves in danger and the women were there. Why were they there? Because they had encountered Jesus because of the way that he spoke to them, because of the way that he treated them, because of the way that he honored them, because of the way that he wanted them to encounter God as he encountered God. And Jesus sacrificed to serve the church. Matthew 20, 28 says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus doesn't dominate or crush the church. He doesn't manipulate the church. He doesn't demand obedience of the church in a a manipulative sort of way. He sacrifices and he serves her that she might become what she was created for. So we must keep Christ in view. Wives, wives. Your identity and your happiness are not found in your husband. I know that's not a shocking statement to you. If you desire to get married, do not believe the lie that a husband will complete you. A husband will drive you nuts. Uh, A husband will, will expose things in your heart that you did not know were there. But Jesus completes you when you are found in him. Your identity and your happiness are found in Christ. Husbands, the same is true for you. Because as we go to talk about marriage, marriage is ultimately a picture of Christ and his church. We need to understand the profound mystery that that marriage is about Christ and his church because the world tells us marriage is about completing with you. It's about getting a partner. It's about getting someone that's going to make you happy. Marriage is not ultimately about your happiness, though I believe God does make us happy and gives us joy in the context of marriage. But we have to understand that this institution of marriage that God created is going, points to his one and only son and how he interacts with his church. So with Christ in view, look back at your Bibles. With Christ in view, look what it says in verse 22. have read this already. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, this is how I'm going to unpack the rest of the text. We're going, to, we're going to address what submission is not. We're going to talk about what headship is in the next verse. We'll talk about what submission is. And uh, we're going to talk about what respect looks like. Those are the things we're going to, we're going to hit. Okay? So we have, we have a lot of ground together. I, I know. But so it says, so what is, what submission is not? Because oftentimes that's the place we go. What's, you know... what it it is. So what it isn't, it's, it's not submission is not spiritual inequality. So both sexes, men and women, so husbands and wives have equal standing before God. One isn't more important than the other one. Okay. Because why both are made in God's image. Everyone you see here everyone you interact with out in the milieu of public, everybody in your extended family, everybody you work with, all of those people are created in the image of God. That's what ultimately gives us significance as we were created to worship him. So submission can't mean there's a different standing before God. We have equal standing before God. Galatians affirms this. Paul says there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now there's some different roles that are outlined in scripture, but there's not different worth. Both men and women are gifted in the church. So we need all of the gifts. We've, we value the gifts of ladies in our church. There'd be lots of things that would be going wrong, like right now, if it weren't for ladies in our church. So I'm so grateful that God has gifted each of us with gifts, as we've talked about in the book of Ephesians. Now, so what submission is not, it's not spiritual inequality. It's not unqualified submission. So what I mean by that is that doesn't mean that a wife submits to a husband who's in sin or encouraging sin. In fact, I would encourage wives that you should confront your husbands if they are in sin, lovingly confront them, make the appeals. The authority given to a husband is never given to exploit a wife or children. Never. So it's not unqualified. Biblical authority is not for the use of tyranny, but rather humble responsibility. And that's not just in the home. That's like throughout all authority that is given is meant to reflect Christ. Whether you hold an office in government or in a business or in leading a home so it's not unqualified submission. And submission is not submission to an ogre, but given to a lover. I don't have to unpack that too much. Those are images, right? It's not submission to an ogre, but to a lover. That doesn't mean that a husband doesn't need to grow, but it's not me, Tarzan, you, Jane, this how it go. That, that's not That's not what it's supposed to be. It's not oppression. It's not subjugation. And guys, it's not demanded. Like just just note, um, Paul starts with wives and he's speaking to the wives. He's not saying, husbands, make your wives submit to you. Paul doesn't say that. There's an exhortation to the wives to consider creation and how things are ordered but it's not—it's not for a wife. It's not for a husband to use this in some way of manipulation to get what he wants. I just want to be clear, guys. its, it's not. So it's not submission. And—and and I want to—I want to make a clear note as we're—we're we're talking about this submitting to your own husbands. It says to your own husbands. Ah. Uh, there. Your wife here, you, you have one husband. Hey, okay, that, that's the only one that's in view here. None of the other men in the church or in the community are in view here. If you are a single woman here, you, this passage is not saying you must submit to the, the whims and desires of every other man. That is not at all what is being said here. I want to be clear about that what is in view here is Jesus and view. The church is in view. Maybe not what what your experience of church looks like, but what the church should look like in its submission to Christ. So that's We talked about what submission is not. We're going to go on in the passage. We'll talk about what submission is in in just a few moments. But look back at your Bibles. Look back at your Bibles. In verse 23, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So, we're gonna talk about what head means. What, what does that mean when it says head? Like is there some, some meaning there that, that we we are we're missing? I don't understand that the concept of headship is is grounded in creation. Like if you leave your finger there, I'm gonna I'm gonna flip back to Genesis. In, uh, in the created order, so Genesis chapter two, God's creating everything. You know, we learn about all that in Genesis one, Genesis two, two, seven says And the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. So God created Adam first, and then, then there's a bunch of interaction with creation, and then uh, after that's in verse 7, then in verse 18, God says it's not good that a man should be alone. Surprised that every man who's married didn't say amen to that. Right then and there. It, it is not good. Definitely for some of you men, it would not be good for you to be alone. <laughs> I'll make a helper suitable for him. And so then the story goes on and God makes Eve, takes a rib out of Adam and she's called woman because she's taken out of man. And then it ends, they're both naked and, and, and not ashamed. So God, God made Adam first and then he made Eve. So there's an order of creation. He made them different. They are different. We can clearly see that they are different, but again, equal in dignity and value bearing God's image. But we want to submit to God's good design. But I want, I want to point out a couple things about the created order. Adam was called to, to be the head of his wife in creation. She was called to be the helper suitable fit for him, and he failed. He failed in his job because when the women saw, she took and then she gave to Adam. So we we know that story and some just kind of joke about that. Oh, Eve took the fruit first. But here's the deal. Adam is guilty of bringing sin into the world. Though Eve took the fruit first, Adam is the one that's guilty. Romans 5.12 says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man... Like, wait a minute. Didn't Eve? Yup, yeah, she did. How did sin enter the world? To the guy that was supposed to keep the door closed. To the guy that was in, who was supposed to protect his wife. That's not speaking to her weakness, that's speaking to his failure. Okay, so that headship in creation and why we find ourselves in that place. Now, coming back to this passage, the word head for the husband is head of the wife. That word in the Greek is called kephale. Now, it doesn't even look that way when you spell it in English, but it's, it, I don't normally use the Greek word, but it's important in this, uh, in this instance because some have said that the word kephale means source, not authority. Some say it means just kind of like where it begins, it doesn't actually mean the one who's in authority. But you have to understand the original hearers would have understood it as authority, and this is why. One theologian, Dr. Wayne Grudem, did careful study of the word, because he's like, I wanna lay this to rest. Like, if it really means source, that changes things. So he explored in classic Greek literature, I don't know where you find these things. You know, I think he traveled the world to look at, at languages that are hard for me to learn, but he looked at 2,336 instances of this word in, in references from Philo, Josephus, the Apostolic Fathers, the Epistle of Aristius, the Testaments of the 12 Patriarchs, and Aquila, and you're like, and all these other people, we don't know who they are. These smart people, and all of those things, not one instance discovered the meaning as being the source or origin. All of them carried with it authority. Okay, take a deep breath. Like, I didn't know I was coming to English class. <laughs> it's important. But it, we must remember, though, it includes authority. Headship in marriage is Savior-style servant leadership. Leading with the kind of love that is willing to die. because it says in the passage, as it references the head, uh, the husband as the head, he references Jesus. Remember, Jesus is the most important one in this passage, and it says, as he is himself its savior. Now, the husband is not the savior of the marriage or the savior of the wife. Jesus is the savior of the world, but that's the example in front of us, and as we think about headship, but Jesus is the head of the church. And so our headship is understood by looking at Christ, looking at how he cared rather than controlled how how there was responsibility taken rather than rule pushed on characteristic of this of Jesus is one of saviorhood Jesus said, let him who is the greatest among you as the youngest and the leader as the servant Jesus is the example as we think about headship, but we see headship in this text and rooted in creation. So there are roles that men and women play in the context of marriage, but how we carry out those is so important that Jesus is in view as we walk through. Okay, so look back at your Bibles. Passage goes on, says, Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And I know some of you ladies are like, Is everything in the Greek? Is it there? I mean, it's got to mean something else. Listen, before you get into that discussion, I want to make this statement. A spirit-filled wife displays biblical submission. And I I intentionally say biblical submission because the word submission has been perverted and used for wrong things in our culture and in cultures since sin came into being. Because submission is is really a divine calling for the wife. John Piper defines submission this way. He says... Biblical submission for the wife as the divine called to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. That's what he said. I'm just going to read that again. To honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. Like that's a great image it's one like, that acknowledges the fact that God ordered things, but this marriage relationship is supposed to have a wonderful melody and harmony together. It, it's supposed to benefit from both the husband and the wife. Because the the picture here is that husbands are, are to be like Jesus. They're not, they aren't Jesus. As you submit to your husbands, your husband is not Jesus, but Jesus. But there should be some kind of aroma, there should be some kind of flavor of that someone should experience as they encounter your marriage that this looks like, this looks like how the church responds to Christ. It kind of looks like that. Husbands, the same thing is true for you. We'll talk more about that last week, but there, the way you lead, love, care for your wife, people should be, be like, yeah, this, this looks like Jesus. John Stott said, there is nothing demeaning about this for her submission is not to be an unthinking obedience to his rule, but rather a grateful acceptance of his care. And I get that some might be in a context where your husband's not providing the care that he should be. And we want to come alongside you and, and walk with you. One other theologian said this, he said, submission to and the respect for the husband to which the wife is specifically admonished is by no means the submissiveness of a pussycat or a crouching dog. Paul is thinking of a voluntary, free, joyful, and thankful partnership as the analogy of the relationship of Christ, of the church to Christ shows us. So really, submission simply affirms a husband's great responsibility to be head over the home. To have that responsibility. We often hear the term, how the husband leads the home. It talks about the husband being the head of the home. Sometimes when we use the word lead the home, we kind of begin to put like personality traits on the husband and the wife. The husband must be this. Charlton Heston, I don't know if you know who that is. Like he was a famous actor like a long time ago that played like the manly man. All the husbands should look like that. And all the wives should be over here and they should be just these quiet people that never talk. Like that's not what the text is saying. Like God has given different husbands and different wives, different personalities and, and giftings. But the wife needs to understand like her, her husband's going, he he has responsibility. If Adam is bearing the responsibility for sin coming into the world, your husband's going to bear the responsibility for how your, how your home goes. So how are you being an encouragement to him? How are you supporting him? How are you working together? There and guys, we should benefit from our wives. There are men in scripture that did not benefit from their wives. Pontius Pilate, his wife was like, I was afflicted in a dream about this man that you're talking to. And he ignored her and sent Jesus, the innocent one, to the cross. Think of the benefit of the multi-talented woman in Proverbs. That's the woman that's in your home. No, wives, you don't have to feel like you have to live up to the standard of the Proverbs 31 woman and do everything that she does. We, we We must see that, we must lead men so that our wives will lovingly come alongside. And we must create a culture in which if we aren't displaying the, the loving leadership like Christ is that she has a bat phone. Y'all, y'all know what a bat phone is, right? Like, remember the old TV show, Batman? There's the red phone that the commissioner has and, and every time something goes wrong, he can, he can go to the bat phone and Batman sees it because he's watching the sky all the time just in case that goes into the sky and he goes and Batman can go do the thing. But, but here's what your, your bat phone needs to have. Your bat phone needs to have all the numbers of the godliest men in your life that will confront you in your sin if you are in sin. This is, it happens in my home. My wife has all the numbers because our contacts are shared. She has all the numbers of the guys closest to me, including the elders in our church, the small group leaders in our church, pastors I've served with, pastors in our network of churches. And I have told her, "Hun, if I go sideways if we are interacting about something and I'm just not listening or if we, you know, a decision needs to be made and I'm just kind of hem on, like I don't really want to make the decision. I don't want you to make the decision. I don't want anyone to make the decision. I'm just dragging my feet. So I'm sinning against you and the kids and I just won't listen. Honey, you always have the the freedom to make this call. I've said this before in public, so you've heard it now. So Angie's got some of your numbers. A wife should have that freedom, not, not because she wants to nail her husband for doing something wrong. Because whenever we come and we confront someone in their sin, we're doing it as a mode of rescue because we're not walking with God and our relationship was broken with God and it's ex- being expressed in sin in this world. And so it's a, it's a matter of rescue, so I want to encourage you to, to do that in your world, guys. You're like, hey, I thought we were going to be talked about next week. <laughs> um, if your wife, I, I for a wife to be asked this from scripture, yeah. Yeah, wife, it's a fearful thing for man to be a head. And I am like, it is a fearful thing for you to be called to submit to the headship of your husband. I look at my wife and I tell her, thank you all the time. I'm like, God, what did you do to Angie? She said yes to me. I'm a piece of work sometimes. So we, we, must, we must be in awe before God of the roles that he's given us. And if, if we start there, Oh, how much easier it is to walk through these things. So really, you know, as we keep Christ in view, ladies, what's your heart posture? I think sometimes it's less about specific acts because sometimes you're just like, Hey, give me the list. Give me the list of what submission is and isn't. And then I'll have a debate with you and then we're done. No, it's not, It's a heart posture. And if you're struggling with it, let's, let's have dialogue about it. Let's have dialogue in our small groups about it. Dialogue with other ladies in the church about it. Dialogue with the elders about it. Like, you don't have to just be like, okay, I've, I've got everything that I need. This is, books have been written about this. Big, fat, thick books. Lastly, after a spirit-filled wife displays biblical submission, a spirit-filled wife respects her husband. So I'm just going to jump down. So after Paul addresses the wives, then he's going to address the husbands, which we'll talk more about last week. Jump all the way down to verse 33. It says, however, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. I find it interesting that Paul ends the section saying, respect your husband. Like he didn't go, Hey wives, just see to it that you submit to your husband. That's not the final word. He uses the word respect instead. And I think that's a helpful I think that's a helpful word as you think about the, the call and in, in the role that you're in as a wife. What, what has, how has God called you, gifted you to, to be an encouragement to your husband? And I get it's hard sometimes. When, you're, when your husband um, displays his imperfections, because every marriage I've ever heard about, every, every married person I've ever talked to, doesn't matter the age, uh, all the husbands are sinners. Every single one of them. They all come up short. Some have long seasons of coming up short. Some short different things, they, they come up short and the temptation can be to withhold respect until my husband becomes perfect. I will give him respect because I, I get, there's kind of this fear, like if I show him respect, then that must I mean I'm saying it's okay that this is happening here. If we wait to show respect until our husbands arrive, do you realize when your husband arrives? Like after we're dead or after Jesus comes back, okay, that's when, that's when your husband's gonna be perfect. I hope it's not a long time until that day when we see Jesus face to face because that's going to be an awesome day. But we can't wait until our husbands are perfect. Angie certainly can't. So how how has God wired you? Is, is there a way that you can can be an encouragement to him? Uh, a good friend of Angie and Maya's, uh, her name's Betsy Ricucci. She and her... Her husband was the pastor, our pastor, while I was in pastor's college. And they were so loving and came alongside us and had lots more things to say to me than they did to Angie uh, to help us grow in our marriage. And I'm not just saying that to be funny. Like, it is true. We had lunches together where they talked exclusively to me while Angie ate her lunch because I needed to grow. But she shared some, some questions in a book that she wrote with her husband, Here's just a couple of questions, ladies, to think about. Am I more aware of my husband's deficiencies or his strengths? Am I more inclined to criticize my husband, whether verbal or in my heart, or am I more inclined to commend him? Am I more aware of his efforts to lead our family, even if there don't seem to be a lot of them? Or am I more aware of of how he falls short. Just some questions to ask. You know, there's different ways you can show respect. There's, it starts with thoughts. We want to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. If you, if you start to think all of, and you start to look in your head for all the things that are wrong, you don't have to, you, 10 seconds and you can find stuff wrong with your husband. Won't take long. But if you're meditating on those things, it's going to get into your heart. And then it's going to get into the words that you use and the actions that you take. Just remember, Psalm 103.10 says this, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Because of Jesus. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. Us husbands, we need wives that believe that because we need to be pointed back to Christ when we aren't doing well. We need to hear that, and God's uniquely positioned you to know where the weaknesses are and to know where grace can be applied to know where Jesus can come in view, where maybe your husband's been clouded. And there's certainly actions that you can take. And we could spend lots of time asking lots of questions, processing all of these things. But I want want to leave you with this. Remember the context of this passage. Look back at your Bibles. Look back at your Bibles We need the Holy Spirit to fulfill the vows that we made at our weddings. If if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we're in a heap of trouble because the Holy Spirit, one of his titles is helper. I don't know about you, but every married couple I've known, whether husband or wife, they need help. And you have one. So, we want to pray that God would fill us with his spirit and that we would yield to his help. We can't do anything of what's described in these three verses or in the other eight and a half, nine verses that are going to be to follow if we don't have the spirit of God. We can't do it in our own strength. We need Christ. We need Christ because it's an amazing mystery of this union between Christ and his church. And we have the privileged church as we come alongside marriages to strengthen them in our church. We do that not just so that that husbands and wives aren't anxious all the time or aren't grumpy all the time. We do that because the world out there sees something absolutely amazing when they see a marriage transformed by the power of the gospel. May the marriages of our church introduce the world to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we need you. We need you. We can't do any of this without you. And as we come Right now, I want to thank you, God, for being God and ordering this world. Thank you, God. Just right where you are, in your seat, not out loud for everyone to hear, just is there something from what we've studied this morning that you can thank God for, something that he's doing in you, ways that he's come alongside you and provided for you? Thank him. Just take a moment to do that. Now just take a moment to ask for forgiveness if if pride has gotten in the way. This is for husbands or wives or or whether you're married or, or not married. If God's brought conviction this morning, just come before him. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Let's just come before him. Come before him and confess that. Hmm. Now you can ask. Ask God. The one who owns cattle on a thousand hills. The one who creates stuff out of nothing, ask him. Ask him to help you, to fill you with the spirit. Ask him to reveal Christ to your spouse, but ask him for you. God, help me do X. What, What does God want you to do? Ask him for help specifically. We thank you, Father, that you hear our prayers because of what Jesus Christ has done. And we want to yield to your word, even if it's unpopular with the world. And even if the world completely wrongly sees what this passage is teaching, would we yield to you, Lord Jesus, would we yield to you the one who both men and women just long to be in the presence of and would we long to be in your presence as we yield to you in these things and in everything. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.